HeyYA is sponsored by Book Riot's Read This Book newsletter and our blind date with a book giveaway. Ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books wrapped in brown paper? They're blind dates with books where you buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, or the author, and it's a great way to discover new books you might never have picked up for yourself. We're giving away five blind dates with books. Executive editor Amanda Nelson, spoiler alert, she's guest hosting today, will take a trip to her local indie in Richmond called Chop Suey and pick five at random off their shelves to mail to five random winners. To enter to win your own blind date with a book, go to bookriot.com slash blind date and sign up for our upcoming Read This Book newsletter, where we will send you a single solitary book recommendation once per week. That's bookriot.com slash blind date to enter, or go see if your local indie participates with their own blind date shelves. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from new stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, and today I have a guest host with me, and that is Amanda Nelson. We are recording, recording, recording on Friday, October 25th, 2019. Hello. Welcome to the recording. <laughs> Eric, Eric would have like been cracking up. <laughs> I just, I was letting you get through your very nice introduction. I feel like that Steve Buscemi gif where he's in the high school and he walks in and he's like, "Hi, how you doing, kids?" Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's how I feel exactly. right now. <laughs> um, Eric, for those who are curious, is currently in Vancouver for something relating to books and it's his birthday today so like any anytime we get to make fun of him today it's just it's the way it's supposed to be so he's so hard to make fun of he's just like the cinnamon rolliest well he does i mean he he gets on these kicks with certain books like hot Mm. dog girl where like (laughs) he has to drop in every show and it's it's one of those like charming quirks that you know he gets trolled about so i had to i had to throw it in It's a gentle troll, you know. A gentle troll. Show title. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about what we're reading. Um, Okay. And and I'll start by saying uh, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks for the Audis, and I can't really talk about what I'm listening to, but I just finished my first YA title on the list. I've been doing them backwards, so for whatever reason, my category has very long audiobooks, and... They started at, like, 17 hours. I got through, like, three 17-hour books. I did a 15-hour book, and I finished two 12-hour books. I'm down to 10 hours and under now, but uh, I know. The the last one I finished was a YA book, and it was great, except uh, I read the book already. So I sat for 12 hours listening to a book I'd already uh, read. So you have to listen to the whole recording. Yes, Mm-hmm. I feel like there's got to be a more efficient way. Like, why don't they cut out like an hour? You can get an impression, I imagine, yeah. of the narrator from an hour. Yeah, I think so, too. And I mean, I'll be real. There's one I listened to the first 20 minutes and I was like, nope, I'm nothing <laughs> out of this. Yeah. Because um, I'm not going to listen to it for 13 hours when I already hate everything about it. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, when I judged the Best Translated Book Award, I did the same thing. Like, if I could tell within the first mm-hmm. 20 pages that it wasn't going to be shortlisted, then why continue? 
Yeah, exactly. It's like you already have all your reasons why not, like why you're not going to advance the thing. So why continue to just like, that's a long time. I mean, the amount of hours I've already listened to audiobooks and the like, I'm not even done with the first round of them. And I just, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's that's my reading life right now is a lot of um, playing Candy Crush and playing this stupid word game called Wordscapes. Like, I even got my husband in on it. Like, we're playing this stupid game uh, while I listen to these these audiobooks. So is he having to listen to them with you? I assume so. Like, he's just no. in the house with you. Oh, okay. No, I'm listening to them on headphones. Oh, smart. Yeah, so so sometimes he's home and just watching whatever, and we're playing this stupid game <sighs> so that I can get through. <laughs> get well, that's through. nice of him to participate in your pain. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What have you been reading? Okay, I it's not YA, but I'm reading, I have two. I'm reading Duck's Newburyport um, by Lucy Allman, um, which is just 1500 pages like that's just what it is and it's <laughs> it's eight sentences long i'm sure all of y'all have heard about it it was shortlisted for the something the booker and it's about it's you know it's the inner monologue of a like disaffected housewife in ohio and it's just eight sentences uh, and 1500 pages and it's so you, you can't i'm reading 10 pages a day basically mm-hmm. so i'll be reading it for like a year because um, <laughs> i can't get pat more than 10 pages in before i'm like what's happening like i i've lost time this yeah is, it's but it's so it's genius like it's brilliant it's amazing whatever if you like really difficult mountainous pieces <laughs> of literary fiction that's for you uh but i also just started vita nostra which rincy really loved um who if you don't know rincy she hosts co-hosts the red or dead podcast it's not a mystery or a thriller it's ya um it's by marina diachenko and it's in translation i think from Russian, the author is Ukrainian, um, and it's like a really weird Soviet Harry Potter, <laughs> and I'm like into it. I'm super into it, but it is very strange. Where like if I don't know if Harry Potter were were not as cozy and took place in a <laughs> Soviet bunker, like this is what I feel like it would. It's one of those. It's very weird, um, and like a lot more ominous and uh, Russian. It's just real Russian. That's what it is. <laughs> it's very scary. So that's what I'm reading. <laughs> So right before we got on to record, Publishers Weekly dropped their best books of 2019. I know. And I wasn't even going to talk about it, but I'm like so mad about it that I'm going to. And and I know Eric would be sitting here being mad with me about it. Like, it's October 25th. This is way too early for best of. And there are like some big titles that are not on that list that I cannot like wrap my head around at all. Yeah, it's dumb. It's like walking into Target and seeing Christmas stuff already. Mm. I just can't. It's too, what? What? And yeah. it's a it's a it's a disservice to readers because yeah, you know they're going of course to include books that they that the people who are making the list have read that aren't out yet, and then people can't get them. Like, stop it! <laughs> Sit down. Right, and like, what what is the point of having it so early? Except to say that yours was the first, really. And what do you gain from that? Right. Right. It's you gain a lot of people who like me are like rah, 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 about it. Yeah, you get you get clicks because people are like wanting to rage click. Yeah. On. Yeah. I guess that's it. Well, I mean, I did. Yeah, you did. That's true. <laughs> Ours is not coming out until December. So yeah, because I have a lot of feelings about it. <laughs> As it should be like December best books of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I feel for the books that come out in November and December because sure, like some of them can make the list and you assume that they're Editors have read the books to make their list, but like also then their pub like their publication gets overshadowed by best of the year before and most anticipated of the next year. And it's like, okay, well, 
sorry I have a November publication date, you know? Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> so. <sighs> Flames on the side of my face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's, uh, before I, like, rage on this some more, <laughs> let's hit our first sponsor and then we'll dive into today's show. So our first sponsor is The Beautiful by Renee Adia from Penguin Random House Audio. New York Times bestselling author Renee Adia returns with a sumptuous, sultry, and romantic new series set in 19th century New Orleans where vampires hide in plain sight. In 1872, New Orleans is a city ruled by the dead, but to 17-year-old Celine Rousseau, New Orleans is a safe haven after she's forced to flee her life as a dressmaker. In Paris. Taken by the sisters of the Ursuline convent in the middle of the carnival season, Celine is quickly enraptured by the vibrant city, from its music to its fancy soirees and even its danger. She becomes embroiled in the city's glitzy underworld known as Le Cour de Lyons after catching the eye of the group's enigmatic leader, Sebastian St. Germain. When the body of one of the girls from the convent is found in Sebastian's own lair, the second dead girl to turn up in recent weeks, Celine battles her attraction to Sebastian and suspicions about his guilt along with the shame of her own horrible secret. After a third murder, New Orleans becomes gripped by the terror of a serial killer on the loose, one who has now set Celine in his sights. As the murderer stalks her, Celine finally takes matters into her own hands, only to find herself caught in the middle of an age-old feud between the darkest creatures of the night, where the price of forbidden love is her life. At once a sultry romance and a decadent, thrilling mystery, master storyteller Renee Adier embarks on her most potent fantasy series yet. Eric and I talked about this book um, on the last episode because this is vampires. Mm -hmm. Vampires set in New Orleans, which they're coming back. And I've been saying that for a year now. And it's, you know, we're going to see more and more. So um, it's cool to see an author of color doing it and setting it in New Orleans and bringing in all of this history from New Orleans to like really ground the setting and the story. Um, And that is our first sponsor, The Beautiful by Renee Adier from Penguin Random House Audio. So um, you were supposed to be my guest on a show like many, many shows ago, and we discussed talking about crossover books, so adult books that are great for YA readers. And since we didn't record that episode, we're doing it now. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and both of us have like lists. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, I I saw that you I like did the same number as you because I was like, well, if she's gonna do five, then I'll do five. I guess I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know if I'll get through five. Like, it's it's funny. Um, when Eric and I record, our show notes are like fifteen pages long because. <laughs> Because we just, like, throw everything on there and then just kind of have all of our notes handy. And um, you and I have, I think, two pages of show notes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm so used to get booked where I just, like, riff for, Mm -hmm. you know, for an hour that I just make stuff up as I go. It's fine. 95% of what I say is false. That's not true. What I just said was false. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That was confusing. (laughs) That was so confusing. Um, Do you want to start? Sure. Yay. Okay. So crossover, almost all the books that I picked for this or that I like consider crossover way adult are still about young adults, but they're just maybe a little bit more adulty, like out of high school um, or are darker, like thematically um, or are like very pop culture-y, which I also consider to be like kind of a hallmark of YA, but not always. Anyway, so my first pick is Red, White and White Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, which is a romance novel that I 
am obsessed with. Like, I am obsessed. I'm going to make my book club read it. They don't know this yet. They listen to the show. So hi. Now the surprise is spoiled. But so good. So it is a romance between the first son of the American president. So it takes place in like the very near future. Like the Trump administration is over and imagine that like a, a, the next president was a woman elected from Texas. So her son is the main character. He's like 20, mm, 21. He's in his last year at Georgetown. Um, and he ha- has this like rivalry with the crown prince, not the crown prince, the, the prince of Wales, um, who's called Henry or Harry. No, it's Henry. He's called Henry in the book. Um, they have this like very public rivalry where they don't much like each other and they get into like fisticuffs at his brother, at the prince's brother's wedding, the other prince. Um, and so both countries decide like, well, before we start an international incident, you know, um, you two need to pretend to like each other. Like, please just act like you are friends so that we don't have like parliament using this as an excuse to whatever like not back our agenda so they have this whole planned promotion promotional friendship where like staged instagram photos and like um you know selfies but then of course because it's romance novel they end up like falling deeply and madly in love and so it's this like just amazing secret slow burn romance between the first son and the prince of wales um and they have to navigate all of that, like, and I, you're just, it's Prince, it's the Prince, like, Megan's husband. What's his name? Meghan Markle is the only one in that relationship who matters, so I can't remember <laughs> her husband's name. Harry? Henry? Harry. It's Harry. Yeah, Thank Harry. you. I just imagined Harry this whole time in this book, which is not the worst. It's not the worst. Um, it's very sweet, and they, of course, encounter a bunch of obstacles where, like, their their love letters that they write to each other via email um, get hacked. Um, you're going to feel a lot of parallels between, like, 2016 and this book and the book was actually written right after the election of 2016 and i read the um afterward and the author was like i wrote this to purge all of my negative feelings about the election and like make it what make it how it should have turned out so it's very healing like it was a very healing read but the characters are so young and like dealing with all the kinds of things that i think ya readers will really relate to like what am I going to do with my life? Like, what you know, what's my first job? How do I deal with my parents? Even though their parents are like, you know, the queen and <laughs> the president. Um, but that's the same kind of stuff. Where, like, my mom will get off my back. She wants to look at my cell phone and see my pictures. And I have to, like, hide 45% of them. Um, so it's all very relatable stuff. But it's, you know, a little bit more adult if you get my nudge, nudge. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> red, white, and royal blue. Casey McQuiston, go read it. Uh, so my first one is The Pretty One by Kia Brown, which is uh, – it's a nonfiction collection of essays that came out this summer. And I I want to talk about this one because I know that there are so many Y readers who are looking for disability representation and specifically disability representation uh, by people of color. And rarely do we get to see that. And this is that book. Um, it's a collection of essays by writer and pop culture lover Kia Brown. And she sort of got her attention, I guess, by her viral hashtag, Disabled and Cute. And this comes up in the book a few times when she talks about the importance of visibility for disabled people, and particularly for disabled people of color who live at this intersection that's often ignored. Um, Kia has cerebral palsy, and she talks about how her disability is part of who she is and how she grew up wishing that she could be more like her sister Leah, who was born without a disability. And how over the course of her life, she's come to embrace who she is and how her body is. And I was super taken with the first essay in particular. And it's a really fantastic introduction to her voice and her uh, 
essay writing skills. And the essay is about the power and importance of chairs, which is something that so many of us take for granted, but that someone like Kia has learned to develop a real and deep relationship with and and why different chairs are good, why different chairs are bad. Other essays in the collection talk about finding love and romance. They talk about representation on television and how profoundly limited it is and how it was she found uh, self-love. She doesn't shy away from the challenges of being disabled in a super uneducated and unaccommodating culture, but um, this is one of those books that's ultimately quite hopeful, and it's really a joy to read. Um, so I would pass this to any YA reader who is thinking about disability and really wants to see that sort of representation, and it's an own voices collection about being a person of color and disabled. And that is The Pretty One by Kia Brown. Okay, so my next one is Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir, which if you were like in the book right ecosystem at all, you've probably seen this book to death. And I am going to continue to hammer it. So just just deal with it. Get on the ride, guys. It's great. <laughs> um, so this is um, it's fantasy, science fiction kind of mashup, and it takes place in space. The main character is 17, but or the two main characters really are 17. Um, but it is very dark, like very, it's very dark. It's super violent. Everyone is a necromancer and or gets murdered. So like, <laughs> and you would think that being surrounded by necromancers when you're murdered would be handy, but it's not. Um, so the main character is named Gideon, obviously. She lives on this planet called the House of the Ninth, um, which is just cold and dead and covered in skeletons. And her, I don't, you know... Nemesis, I guess, uh, is named Harrowhark, and Harrowhark is the daughter of the Ninth House. Like, she is going to inherit this really sad planet made of bones, basically. And Gideon is the only other child on this planet. Something terrible happened to all the kids, but you find out about that later. Um, and Harrowhark, as the daughter of the, the house, has to go to the emperor's, um, like, summons. He summons the uh, daughters and sons of all nine houses in this empire to come to him to, like, figure out how to defeat death. Basically, it's like a, you know, Hunger Games-style kind of um, challenge and mystery that they have to solve. And Harrowhark brings Gideon with her um, as, like, her, I don't know, assistant, valet. They have a bodyguard. Like, they have a fancy name for it in the book, but I don't remember. And then they they all get to this planet and it becomes what is basically an Agatha Christie locked room mystery where they all start dying one by one. Um, everyone who's on the planet is a necromancer or a necromancer's bodyguard. So, you know, you would think that that like the ability, like I said, to raise the dead and talk to them would be handy when you're trying to solve a murder. Um, but it does. It's not handy. It's of no help. Um, and while this is happening and they're trying to solve this mystery and also solve the riddle for the emperor um, and not die, Gideon and Harrowhark have their own very, very angsty relationship that they're working through um there's a lot of feelings there's a lot of feelings there mostly they want to be kissing but they hate each other so it's that kind of like i want to kiss you but also i would like to chop your head off and bury it under some concrete like it's that kind of angst which is my favorite kind of angst you guys i love it so much <laughs> but it's like super weird and goth and there's a lot of that's what she said jokes and it feels very young obviously because the characters are teenagers um but there's nothing like this is not a coming of age their lives are so hard that they have already come of age and are now just like centuries old in their souls because they've, they're so traumatized as characters. Um, and it is very... Ugh, there's a lot of corpses. It's kind of gruesome. It's a little bit graphic with the violence. Um, the ending is kind of a cliffhanger. It's like a punch in the gut. But there is a second book planned. But I think that um, if you are like 
yeah, it's just a really great crossover book where if you really, really love reading about teenagers and their hormones and the choices that they make in those moments um, when they're maybe like overcome with angst, but, you know, add some like swords and dirty magazines and make it make it lesbians. And then you've got Gideon the Ninth. So that's what you should go read. So make it lesbians. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my next pick is also a dark one, but not in the same way. Um, It's A Prayer for Travelers by Ruchika Tomar. And heads up that they're is uh, quite a bit of sexual assault and violence in this book, so trigger warnings there. But uh, this is a Western, and it's a Western about two girls of color, and they're anything but content to be in this world that is super male-dominated, egotistic, and they kind of defy what we expect out of a Western. So uh, it's it's told out of order, and it's about a brown girl named Kale who is raised by her grandfather, and she becomes entwined with a brown girl named Penny who goes missing. They are close friends, though we only kind of believe this to be true, uh, as their friendship seems really one-sided, and Kale is obsessed with finding out what happened to Penny and why it was she disappeared. So this is a really well-paced, cleverly crafted, and gorgeous story that's really a slice of American narrative we don't get to see a whole lot. We get to know Kale, who's this bookish and quiet person, much more than we get to know Penny, because this is told through Kale's voice. And Penny doesn't really get a voice in the story because she has, quote, gone missing. But we get to know the kind of girl that... We get to know that she's the kind of girl that Kale would want to be. And we... um understand that this is sort of why she's so enamored with her, even if, um, as we suspect as readers, that Penny might not return those same feelings. Um, it's not that they're not friends, but it's one of those unequal friendships, uh, which was fascinating to read. Uh, in a lot of ways, this book reminded me of Sadie by Courtney Summers for the way that the mystery plays out and how it's told non-sequentially. So readers who like thrillers, who like really cleverly constructed novels and stories of friendship and feminism and seeing men who have always been heroes get knocked down a notch or two will love this book. Um, and it starts, their their friendship starts when they're younger. Um, and I think they're in their early 20s through the, like, where the bulk of the story happens. But certainly there are there are parts when they're younger, so people who like those stories of younger characters will will find a lot here. And that is A Prayer for Travelers by Ruchika Tomar. Okay, I can't, it's hard for me to articulate why I picked the, the next one. I think it's it's Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez. It's a really fun science fiction, like space opera kind of adventure romp. The main character is not, she's not a teenager. She's a grown human. Um, and I don't think anyone in the book is like super young, but it felt kind of, Mm-hmm. young to me like there again there's a lot of pop culture references in it it's very irreverent it's an adventure uh, that i think uh readers of ya will find like very satisfying and funny the main character is captain eva innocente and she is a cuban woman who is captaining the crew of la serena negra which is like just this really beat up kind of firefly style um ship that's you know a space bucket that they've taped together with like dreams and tears and duct tape. <laughs> Um, And they are using it to, her and her crew um, are transporters. Like they just, you know, they transport cargo for very few dollars and they're kind of a found family. And this is the thing that they're doing to make ends meet and it's fine. Um, And then Ava's sister gets kidnapped by an organization called The Fridge, which in this universe is like a 
organized crime syndicate. And they um, threaten Ava, you know, we're going to put your sister in cryostasis. You're never going to see her again unless you do these series of errands for us. And they call them like errands. It's just a few errands, but they turn out to be these like really unpleasant, dangerous missions that put Ava and her whole crew at risk. Um, She's not allowed to tell anyone what's going on. So she has to get them in and out of all of these scrapes. Uh, At the same time, she's being chased through space by this like intergalactic general guy who came onto her at a bar who she rejected and so he's now determined to destroy her so he like just shows up with his spaceship trying to kill her at very inconvenient times she's a super uh like foul-mouthed really heart of gold character and i loved her so much there's a romance uh between her and one of her crew members that is uh he's not human i don't remember what they call his species in the book but she he like she she installs a um uh, what do you call it? an augmented thing where like his species communicates their emotion through smell. So she has like a smell translator installed so she can tell what he's feeling. Um, and there's such interesting conversations in the book between Ava and him about consent. And like, because she is obviously like the authority in that situation, she is his boss and his captain and like his life is in her hands. Um, and he has to trust her to make decisions that like their relationship don't affect. So there's a lot of questions about like authority and consent. Um, while also, like, there's a lot of psychic cats, like, the ship is overrun by cats who can read minds. It's just really fun and, like, weird and essentially a series of heists that they have to pull off. Um, and it's the cover is neon pink, which I just I deeply appreciate. So if you like science fiction and, like, YA, if you like, if you like Cindy Pond, like, the want mm-hmm. um, novels, then I think that this will appeal to you. It's the similar kind of, like, found family goes on mission, also tells lots of goofy jokes about the office while they're at it. <laughs> so that's Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdi. My next pick is horror, which feels appropriate. Um, and it is The Saturday Night Ghost Club by Craig Davidson. And if the name Craig Davidson doesn't sound familiar, particularly to YA readers, maybe the name Nick Cutter does. Um, same person writing horror two very different styles of horror under different names. Um, so this book under the Davidson name uh, it's probably one of my favorites this year so far, and it's perfect for readers who like horror but like it a bit on the lighter side. And it's sort of the ideal read for fans of Stranger Things or Stand By Me. So the story starts uh, with Jake Breaker, who is a neurosurgeon, and he has this understanding of just how complex the brain is. And he starts by talking about the delicacy involved in brain surgery And as he's telling this story, he weaves in the history of one particular summer in his youth in 1980s Niagara Falls, Canada. So he's been the victim uh, of a vicious bully. And this situation puts him in contact with Billy, who is a Matisse boy, and they become um, longtime friends. So over the course of the summer, Jake and Billy, as well as Billy's older sister, Dove, who struggles with bipolar disorder, become close to Jake's eccentric uncle named Cal. And Cal runs an occult store in their small town and suggests that they create this weekly ghost club, uh, taking the lead on treating and terrorizing his nephew and nephew's friends to stories of ghosts that haunt their small town. The stories are super horrific, though they're far more about loss and sadness than about being scared. So they're not especially gory. Um, They're stories of death, of people gone missing, and of the lives that never got to be what they were meant to be. So one night, Jake learns that everything his uncle has taught him might not be quite what he claims him to be. And Jake wrestles with 
knowing this truth, both uh, at this young age and now as he's working as a neurosurgeon reflecting upon this summer. Um, it's really heartbreaking and heartwarming. Um, at the same time, it's a story about love and loss and the things we do uh, when we have experienced really tremendous pains, but also really powerful highs. Uh, it's a little short book and it's paperback original and the cover is very, it's illustrated and it, I feel like the cover perfectly captures the feeling of the book. Um, it was, it was really a great read, a surprising read, and one that I know would resonate with YA readers. And that is The Saturday Night Ghost Club by Craig Davidson. How about we each do one more? Okay. 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 Um, let me, eeny, meeny, miny. No, I'm going to. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm going to do Mark's Woman. I'm going to get rid of this one. Bye. <laughs> okay. So Mark's Woman is the first book in the Asiana series. It's by Radhi Merotra. And this one, uh, I picked this because I can't, it was one of those books where I can't decide if it's YA or not, which to me indicates mm. that it is perfect for crossover. Mm-hmm. It's not YA. It was published by Harper Voyager. Like, it's not a young adult publisher. But the character is also like 18. So, you know, whatever. Do with that information what you will. So it is a fantasy novel, also a little bit of science fiction thrown in uh, about a girl named Kira, who is the youngest Mark's woman in what is called the Order of Kali. These are a band of really elite, highly trained assassins yes with magical blades yes i love all of that so much uh it's only women who are admitted they have a really strict code of conduct um and their goal is is they function essentially as this world's kind of police force so it's their jobs to keep the peace protect the people of asiana and also you know assassinate some dudes occasionally when they're doing bad things kira has like a lot of bitterness her family was murdered uh, like her whole village was obliterated by this one gang when she was a young child and she was taken as an orphan to join this um order um and so she was really hoping like to get her uh, what full marks you know on her final test as a um markswoman and then be given permission to like go avenge her family like go find this gang and destroy it that's not that's not what happens her first um mission when the book opens she's on her first mission is to go and assassinate one of the dudes who is a member of that gang um which she does but she's not allowed to just like go out and continue doing that and she gets very like angry and frustrated. All while, while all of that is happening, there's a lot of political maneuvering happening in her order. Her mentor dies and she's committed. She's like convinced that she was murdered. Um, Kira is convinced that the mentor was murdered. Um, and, you know, a bunch of, I'm not going to spoil like the whole thing, but a bunch of political maneuvering happens such that Kira has to flee. So she flees and she travels through these transport hubs. This is where it's like very uh, beam me up, Scotty. These like science fiction-y kind of transport hubs are placed throughout the world. She gets into one like just as she's running for her life um, and it takes her to uh, the order of Kerr, which is similar to the order of Kali. It's, you know, a really highly trained assassins, but they're all men and like gross. Uh. Like, you know, her, her order is taught that men are not fit to be assassins and men are not fit to do really much of anything. So the fact that she lands, you know, amidst all of these men who are defying society's expectations, you see what's happening here, right? Like it's, right, okay, it's a statement. Uh, who are defying society's expectations about what they are and are not allowed to do is like weird to her. Um, but she teams up with them and is going to and they're going to help her, um, you know, right all of these wrongs that have happened. There's a little bit of romance, but mostly it's magical blade assassin nuns, which I love. So, yeah, Mark's <laughs> Woman. There are more books. I listened to it on audio, um, and it was a great audiobook. So if you're into audio, I do recommend it. I'm going to keep my last one super short. Um, it's The Newcomers by Helen Thorpe. And this is one I listened to on audio as well. So for audiobook listeners, this is a decent one on audio. Um, and I say decent, like, it's 
an easy listen on audio. Like, you're not going in for a magnificent performance, but because you want to hear the story and, um, you know, it totally works that way. So uh, this is a book about what Helen Thorpe, the author, saw when she spent a year instead inside of a high school English language acquisition class. And I believe it was South Denver um, High School is where this took place. And she, um, it's nonfiction. I should have started with that. And it it's about this classroom where she meets students from all over the world and hears their stories of um, becoming refugees who become asylum seekers and who are immigrants to America. And it's this English language learning class. So there's literally people from all over the world, kids from all over the world, from all different backgrounds, from all different um, histories and countries. And it's such a fascinating look at how one teacher can teach them all English and how even if these kids can't communicate with each other, they still find ways to talk to each other um, and communicate and still be teenagers, like growing up and being teenagers. And it unpacks some of the traumas that they've experienced and um, was just super powerful and super, I think, important to think about in terms of like, how all these people came to be in the same place, even though they're not from the same place. And um, I think anybody who is interested in learning more about immigrants, about asylum seekers, about refugees, what those different things mean and why individuals dealing with any of these would come to the United States, I think we'll get a ton of insight in this book and also get to meet some incredible kids. Like that's really what this is about is about these incredible kids who are, um, trying to learn English and thrive and be successful people despite all the challenges that are in their way. And that is The Newcomers by Helen Thorpe. Shall I do our next sponsor? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Our next sponsor is A Map of Days by Ransom Riggs. That's a familiar name. So having defeated the monstrous threat that nearly destroyed the peculiar world, Jacob Portman is back in Florida where his story began, except now he's got Miss Peregrine, Emma, and all of their, you know, peculiar friends with him. And they're all doing their very best to blend in. But carefree days of going to the beach and having lessons in like normaling are interrupted by a discovery, a subterranean bunker that belonged to Jacob's grandfather, Abe. So clues to Abe's double life as a peculiar operative start to emerge, secrets hidden in plain sight, and Jacob begins to learn about the dangerous legacy he's inherited, truths that were part of him way before he walked into Miss Peregrine's time loop. So now the stakes are higher than ever as Jacob and his friends are thrust into the untamed landscape of American peculiardom. <laughs> peculiardom, that's hard to say, that none of them understand. New wonders and, of course, dangers await in this next chapter for Miss Peregrine's peculiar children. Their story is, again, illustrated by those really haunting kind of vintage photos that were made famous by the first book, now with striking addition of full-color images interspersed throughout for this all-new, multi-era American adventure. All right, so that's A Map of Days by Ransom Rig. What's next? Let's talk about Swiss Army YA Rex, which um, for anybody who doesn't understand that, it's basically books that you can hand to any kind of reader who wants to just try YA books. Like these are solid picks for that like entry <laughs> into YA. Um, and I like, I love the phrasing Swiss Army Rex. I feel like that's a Jeff thing. It is a Jeff thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's a great description of like what these books are. Obviously, you're going to tailor these picks to the person you're recommending them to. But um, these are easy go-tos 
for those situations and someone's like, recommend a good YA book to me. Um, yeah, so the first one I'm going to talk about is Burn Baby Burn by Meg Medina. And I start by saying I usually don't care about New York novels at all. Um, I just don't. And I think for the most part, they reach a really niche market, despite like how huge New York City is. It's still a niche. Um, anyway, Medina takes us though, um, to historical New York City in a way that made me really invested as it's about the historical summer of 1977 when the city was burning and a serial killer named Son of Sam was on the loose. So Nora, our main character, is Latina and her best friend is a white girl. And both of them are super invested in feminism. But what Medina does is offer a way to look at feminism um, that isn't necessarily inclusive either in the 70s or now. And it's really smart in how she she weaves us in. But uh, the thing that I love most about this book was Nora's family. She's got this incredible family structure, um, and it's really at the heart of the story. Her younger brother, Hector, is getting himself in a lot of trouble, and their mother doesn't seem to care. She continues to really dote on him, and rather than um, – she does that rather than look at what problems he's actually facing – but when he becomes criminal in a way that she can't deny anymore, suddenly so much responsibility falls on Nora for not speaking up more when she had the chance. And it's this really nuanced and thought-provoking um, exploration of family with a side of a deadbeat father that resonated personally for me. Um, and it's just – it's a really interesting slice of history, slice of time, and also just really fabulous exploration of feminism and both um, its limitations and the places where it can expand. And that is Burn Baby Burn by Meg Medina. Okay. I picked uh, – my first one is His Hideous Heart, which is an anthology of – ooh, like short stories and poems, all retellings of Edgar Allan Poe's most popular works, which are also short stories or poems. Um, it's edited by Dahlia Adler. And there are so many big names in this anth- this collection. I, I'm i obsessed with it. Like I went to, I went to the event that was held at the Edgar Allan Poe Museum here um, because Richmond owns Edgar Allan Poe. Take that, Boston. I don't want to hear it. Also, Baltimore. <laughs> like, why does Baltimore? Whatever. Let me not. Let me not. Let me stop. <laughs> so um, I picked this because Edgar Allan Poe is so, you know, universally, maybe not beloved, but like a recognizable. So if mm-hmm. you get somebody who's like, I don't know why, I just want to, you know, what's a great intro? I think this is a good one because they're already going to know the backbones of most of the stories. And since it's an anthology, there are so many different styles and uh, different ways of telling stories here that they can identify authors that they really like and then go check out the rest of their work. So like Tiffany D. Jackson is in here. Tessa Gratton, Rinchu Pecco has a great story. Uh, Kandari Blake, there's like tons of people. My favorite, also Lamar Giles does a really great, I don't remember the name of the Poe story that he's retelling, but it's something about a portrait. Ugh, whatever. I'm not being helpful right now. But <laughs> Rinchu Pecco does a retelling of Murders of the Rue Morgue that is set in Manila. Um, it has a bunch of like Tagalog in it. I love it. I just love it. There's also Fran Wilde does a retelling of The Fall of the House of Usher. Um, I think it's the first story in this book. Um, and you know, The Fall of House of Usher is this like very gothic and emotional, very emo kind of story that Edgar Allan Poe wrote because Poe was the original like emo boy. And her retelling is about twins break like and the fall of the House of Usher becomes a bank. So it's like this really fun technocratic bank heist with with twins. I, it's so good. Everything in here is super creative. The way that people and the way that like Amanda Lovelace retells the Raven is just oh. And the Annabelle Lee, actually Annabelle Lee is a poem. Obviously, it's a famous Poe poem. But the retelling in the book is 
I think it's Tessa's retelling is is a short story um, about two 15 year old girls falling in love. And it's it's just right in the feels, just right in the feels. So there's something here for everybody. I think it's a great intro to young adult literature. And also the book includes the original Poe poems and stories in the back. So you can reference if you need to do that. So that's His Hideous Heart, edited by Dahlia Adler. Since you did an anthology, I'm going to do an anthology as well. And for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned, because there's such a great opportunity to dip into a ton of different voices and see what sticks and like who you would want to read more of. And my pick is Black Enough, edited by Ibby Zaboy, which came out earlier this year. And there are so many standout authors in this collection of stories about Black teens by Black authors. So some of my favorites in here and some uh, names that you'll recognize include Renee Watson. She wrote a story called Half a Moon. Um, Kekla Magoon wrote a story called Out of the Silence. Uh, Oreo by Brandy Colbert. The Ingredients by Jason Reynolds, and I loved, loved, loved The Revolution of Nigeria Jones by Ibi Zaboy, which is about a black girl in a religious cult seeking an escape, which is something I've literally never seen before. And I was like, this is awesome. Obviously, the story by Nick Stone is great. It's called Into the Starlight. And then there's a story called Woe by Rita Garcia Williams, which is also great. And I literally just named half of the anthology. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, it gives a, a sense of like how many knockout names are in this collection. And um, I loved it. Like, uh, this is a collection about black teens that really gives a look at the breadth and depth of their experience. So, um, some of these pieces are happy, some of them are less happy, and um, it's a reminder that there's no single story or experience, particularly when it comes to any uh, marginalized group. And this book just does such a fantastic job of highlighting that. And that is Black Enough by E.B. Savoy. Okay, I picked for my next one, The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily M. Danforth. And this is the YA novel to give to anyone who was like, elder millennials or older the people who remember the 80s because it takes place in the 80s it's got a lot of that nostalgia or people who who are like a little bit snooty about YA because it's not like literary enough um which is nonsense for a lot of reasons that I don't need to get into because y'all know y'all know um but if you've got someone who like has never read YA because they've got feelings about the literariness of it this book is very well written and it's also kind of a chunkster. So if you've got someone who, you know, is like a classics reader or who really likes big literary fiction, I think this is a good kind of Swiss army way to get them into it. So Cameron, the main character, um, when the book opens, she's like orphaned almost immediately. I think in the first chapter, her parents die in a car crash. Um, Cameron is a lesbian and it's the 80s and it's Montana. So like that's fun. It's not fun. It's not fun at all. She goes to live with her grandmother and her aunt, her aunt Ruth, who's like super conservative. And eventually she gets caught having a relationship with a girl named Coley, um, who, well, Coley tells everyone because they get caught and she doesn't want it to like get out that she was kissing a girl and it's like a whole thing. And so her aunt Ruth sends her to a conversion camp. And so you are with Cameron as she deals with feel like she feels really guilty about her parents death because while her parents were like while the car crash was happening, she was having her first kiss with a girl. And so she feels a lot of like tangly guilt about it, even though like in her rational brain, she knows those two things aren't connected. But she's grown up with really conservative religious um, stuff being put in her face because of where she lives and the time that she lives in. And so, you know, she's making these connections. Um, and then her experience in the conversion camp is awful. Of course, of course it is. 
Um, and so like watching her and all the other characters survive and like the humor that they latch onto and the relationships that they make with each other to get through the experience um, and like being with Cameron as she tries to figure out whether or not she wants to figure, forgive her aunt, forgive herself, like forgive her parents. It's just really, you know, gut, like it's gut wrenching. It's gut wrenching. And it's so well written and engrossing. And even though it's almost 500 pages, you're going to read it like so fast because you just <laughs> want to see how she manages. Like she's an amazing character. So like strong and snarky and like, She's vulnerable, and obviously what she's dealing with is very traumatic, but she doesn't ever lose her sense of self, and it's just a very impressive, like, you want to be buddies with Cameron Post. So that's The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily M. Danforth. My next one is probably going to be a surprise to some listeners who are like, Kelly doesn't read fantasy, but yes, I do. Um, And I talked about that in an episode before, and I lean toward like the dark fairy tales side of fantasy. Um, And I wanted to include this one, which is Pan's Labyrinth, written by Guillermo del Toro and Cornelia Funke, because it just came out this year, and it is an adaptation of the movie. The reason I think that this is a great Swiss army wreck is so many people are familiar with the movie um, and that the book is going to be an opportunity to not only sort of revisit this film, but to also get more depth to it because um, there's there's a little bit more opportunity to see Pan's world and the layers that are within it. Um, it's been a number of years since I've seen the movie and that didn't matter at all. You can go into this book without any any knowledge of that at all. And um, one of the things that I particularly liked about this take was that it was beautiful. Like the book itself is beautiful. It's a work of art. It's highly designed. And Del Toro and Funke are such a phenomenal pair working together to take this film that has been out now for I think it's like 13 or 15 years something like it's been out for a while um and making it fresh again but for a young younger audience and um yeah it was just it was it was fabulous um and it's it's one that's just lush and immersive and about justice and honor and doing rights right for humankind um and like I said you don't have to know the movie but um it could be an easy way to get somebody to read YA if they like the movie um, and and want to go a little bit deeper in that world. And that is Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro and Cornelia Funke. Okay, so my next one is Hearts Unbroken. It's by Cynthia Leidich-Smith. And this is a very, like, it's contemporary realistic uh, YA. So if you've got a person who isn't reading YA because they think, like, oh, it's all fantasy, it's all, like, covers with girls in big dresses kind of a thing, which people still say in 2019 – whatever. Um, I think this is a great kind of anecdote to that. So it's about a girl named Louise, who she lives in Kansas. Yes, she lives in Kansas. Um, and she is indigenous. And she lives with her family. And they are all like, her dad's a dentist, like they're just very normal suburban family, very hashtag relatable content, like for anybody out there who is like looking for a book to see themselves in. Um, Louise has, when the book opens, she's, like, with her boyfriend. He's a jock. He's, like, very popular. And she's a little bit, like, how did I get in this relationship with the super popular, like, blonde Chad? But whatever. Um, And he mocks, like, makes fun of Native people in front of her, thinking that, you know, it's harmless. He's just making a joke or whatever. And she immediately breaks up with him. Like, just immediately dumps him and, like, moves on with her life. And so from the jump, this character, you're like, yes, you are my hero. Um, it's her senior year, 
And she wants to be spending more time with, like, her family and her friends and working on the school newspaper anyway. So she just, like, dumps this dude um, and starts working on the paper. The editors of the school newspaper pair her up with this new kid who is a photojournalist. His name is Joey. And the story that they are intended to cover is the school musical. The school musical is putting on The Wizard of Oz. And the director has decided to take a really diverse and intentionally diverse approach to casting, including casting Louise's little brother as the Tin Man. And in Kansas, this provokes lots of backlash from the almost entirely white middle class parents at the school. Um, So the parents form this like, make our high school great again kind of committee um, in order to push back against the casting of like a black girl is cast as Dorothy. You know, her native little brother is cast as the Tin Man. And so her Louise and her uh, partner Joey go out to cover these parents who are being like, just, you know, kind of the worst, just the worst. And I, the thing that I love about this is that um, Louise is, she's dealing with, like, this is a very big issue for a teenager to have to confront. Like, the racism of her neighbors and all of these adults and people that she's supposed to be able to trust. But she is so composed. And in the midst of this, like, is, does she have feelings for Joey? What about her old boyfriend? And, like, she's having these romance issues and, like, these boy problems. And her parents have, you know, like, their normal suburban kind of conflict. But they're a pretty tight family. Um, but she's just, like, here for all of it. Like, she's very competent. And um, I don't know. Like, you're reading this book. Like, this girl's going to end up on CNN and it's going to be amazing. Like, the world will be better. When she suddenly becomes real and ends up on my news station, like I want that. Um, but it's really engrossing, and all of the issues that she's dealing with, I think, are so relatable um, to to any reader, especially a teenager who is stuck in high school, thinking like all of the adults around me are dumb, like they're dumb and they're ruining everything. So what do I do about it? That is, I think, something that kids right now are really having to face. So that's Hearts Unbroken by Cynthia Leitich Smith. Let's each do one more before we wrap up the show. I was like okay. looking at our list. I'm like, oh, we could go on and on. So my last pick is Audacity by Melanie Crowder. And I picked this one because it's a bit of a different format. It's a novel in verse. And I feel like YA does this so well. And that um, it's always worthwhile to give new readers like a look at the different formats that any genre or um, category can take. So um, this particular book is based on the life of Claire Lemlich, who she was a um, labor, or sorry, a union rights labor activist at the turn of the 20th century. So she has, um, her and her family have fled, fled their country of Russia because of anti-Jewish sentiment and they immigrate to New York City where she takes up this job to help support the family and Clara um she just she wants an education so bad and wants to learn English to better herself and to do this she starts taking classes after her work day to carve out something for herself in this new world and As she's getting this education, it leads her to better understand the, like, massive corruption and inequalities in her life and the lives of the people around her in this factory job that she has. So she steps up and becomes an active part of the labor movement, rallying for worker rights, and she gets into some major trouble and causes a rift in her family for doing this. But she knows that she needs to do it in order to ensure that everybody has just fair working conditions. it is awesome. Like, Claire is this daring, just, like, brilliant girl, and she disobeys her family's wishes, but she does it 
knowing that it will better the lives of those who are around her and also help her strengthen her own education and English skills. And um, I loved in this book that Clara falls in love and there's this great relationship with this um, male boyfriend turned husband and never does that squash her feminist goals, never does it become an issue in their relationship that she is such a trailblazer that um and i like to point it out because this book is set you know in the early 20th century where so many people had this perception that men were always keeping women down and in this book um he doesn't he's he's there to support what she's doing and again this is based on a real person but it's a fictionalized take on her story and written in verse it's awesome that is audacity by melanie crowder Okay, my last one is the Summoner series by Taryn Matharu. Um, and the first book in it is called The Novice. It's a trilogy, I think. And this is the book that I give any um, reluctant reader boys, of which I have, like, I'm surrounded by them because every, all of my friends have boys. It's fine. Um, I'm just waiting for my kids to get a little bit older so I can give this to them because I think it's, like, just slightly above their reading level. But if you've got, um, like, a young why a young young adult a yya um, i think that this one's the this trilogy trend like trends a little bit younger so uh it's a good pick uh it's kind of it's like a harry potter lord of the rings pokemon mashup mm. and my kids are so upset my kids are eight they are obsessed with pokemon so i've told them a little bit about this book and they just um they will eat it up it's about a boy named fletcher he's an orphan he works as a um blacksmith apprentice he's like he was taken in as a baby and raised by the blacksmith in this little village um they have a really really close relationship and then he discovers through a series of unfortunate events ha 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 um that he has <laughs> the ability to summon demons from another dimension um which is actually like a thing that can happen in this world but most of the time it's people from like really noble families who have this ability um and like really wealthy you know aristocrats and once it's found out that you can do this you are shipped off to the adept military academy where people who are gifted in the ability to summon demons are trained in like how to do that and they are trained in how to do that because their world is at war with orcs <laughs> like orcs like lord of the rings orcs there are also elves involved and the little demon that he summons his name is ignatius and he's like a little dragon and he's super cute <laughs> um, and so he's being trained to like fight the orcs with his demon that he can summon um and of course he is like not who he seems to be and has to discover the secret of his identity and then you know um find out why his empire has been at this war with this other species for so long for reasons that no one can remember and like who is invested in continuing this war so you can see there's a lot of like lord of the Rings stuff going on there and then every character there's lots of there's just pokemon battles in it like there's no <laughs> other way to call it like characters summon their demons and then they fight each other and you see who wins like who's got the most amount of points at the end there's not points in the book but it's just a pokemon battle <laughs> it's super fun um it's got a lot of really recognizable uh tropes that people who like reluctant readers i think will find really entertaining and it's you know it's not a comic book at all but it's got a really adventurous kind of comic feel to it um so i i love it it's a great uh entry point into ya uh, for especially for younger readers so that's the novice by taryn Mathuru. And I'll just say that if Eric were on the show, he would recommend Hot Dog Girl by <laughs> Jennifer Dugan. <laughs> and there's our gentle trolling. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like I had to put it in there so that when he's listening to the show, he's like, oh, yeah, I would have picked that one. <laughs> uh, well, 
Thanks for, for joining me on the show today. And thanks to everybody who's tuned in this week. If you have any feedback about the show, you could leave it on Apple Podcasts. That lets us know how we're doing and it helps other people find us. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And you could follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Instagram as Hey Kelly Jensen. And you could follow Amanda Nelson on Instagram as I'm Amanda Nelson. And neither of us are on Twitter. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Bye. Bye.